Admittedly, the story you're about to read is bizarre, incredible. Those of you who wish to avoid being unsettled, who wish to avoid thinking, will label it insane. And though you, the reader, would find these facts almost impossible to substantiate, that does not change their nature. Facts they are. I know. I saw them happen. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak with the case known as The Werewolf, originally broadcast November 1st, 1974. This episode was written by David Chase and Paul Playden and directed by Alan Barron. Now, I say Paul Playden with a little bit of an incredulous note in my voice because Paul Playden was the original producer of the show who was ousted a couple episodes ago. So this script has been kicking around for a little while. Like I said, it came out November 1st, and the script is dated August 5th, 1974. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this script as we go along, or at least I will, because it feels like this might have almost been another telemovie that then got chopped down into a single episode. So there's some weird stuff going on with this one. So I am your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, as always, is Mr. Chris Statue. How are you doing, Chris? I would say I'm doing well. I could say I'm doing rough, like a dog man. Oh, <laughs> Like Eric Braden, the dog man. Eric Braden, one of my favorite sci-fi actors. I love Colossus, the Forbin Project. I can't say that I watched Mr. Braden on any of his uh, soap opera work, which he's been doing for years. I was very surprised. I was in the grocery store recently and saw him on the cover of one of these like soap digests. And I'm like, I just talked with this guy. Well, it was probably two years ago now, but... I just had an interview with this dude. Shout out to my main man, Charles Sherman. He is Mr. Braden's agent. He's a good man. Yeah, the um, Eric Braden, man, that guy putting in the mileage on on soap operas. You know, I mean, of all the people involved in this episode, that guy is uh, he's the one that's kind of made it really. I mean, made it, made it. He's like a mainstay on The Young and the Restless. He's been on the show for like, what, 27 years? Like, holy shit. I mean, at some point, you're just printing money. I hope that he is. He's a nice guy. I mean, I I had a really good experience with him on the show. So uh, I'm saying the show as in the projection booth. Unfortunately, he's not on this episode of the Cold Jack Tapes. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a pretty pretty interesting dude and very very proud of his german heritage which i was very glad to hear him talk about and especially the times that he's played a nazi and that he would try to like actually humanize these characters and make sure that you know people realize that they weren't just cardboard cutouts so yeah pretty interesting guy and unfortunately this role as the werewolf He's kind of a cardboard cutout, and unfortunately, Mr. Braden isn't really in the episode that much, but his stunt double sure is. Yeah, this episode, like, looking at Eric Braden now as kind of, as he's such a mainstay of soap operas, and soap operas get a, get a bad rap, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I don't personally watch them, but they must be entertaining to someone, so that's not a bad thing. That's not, that's not a bad thing to be involved with soap operas, because clearly, if you've been doing it for 27 years, I mean, there is no better paycheck than Rick occurring television so good on him but yeah i mean you know we're you know talking about the start of his career i mean if you go and look on his imdb page the first like 10 roles are radio operator german officer german vehicle commander klaus ektman and then you get to this you know this episode of kolshak and you know he's he's cast as bernhardt 
Stieglitz, and he is underutilized in this episode and under what looks to be a bag of brown dyed cotton balls. It's kind of a bummer, actually, knowing where his career would end up going. Well, I'm curious if that was even him under that makeup, because it just doesn't seem like, you know, there are very few actors who at this point, I mean, maybe at this point in his career, he would have done it. But there are very few actors where it's like if there's a guy in a mask that the actor is actually going to be wearing the mask, especially when so much of the time that the werewolf is on screen, there are all these fights and all the, and he's being shot from behind. And I'm just like, yeah, that's probably a stunt man. Most of the time here, I don't even know if, if that was him wearing that outfit or that mask at all. I just assumed it was him because what's the, you know, what's that saying in Hollywood? You know, get someone younger to do it because someone young will say yes to anything. They'll say yes to anything. I mean, you look at him in this episode, he's in his late 20s, early 30s. So, you know, he was still just making a name for himself uh, in acting. So I'm assuming that was him. Probably much to his dismay, (laughs) that was him. Well, he had that reoccurring role on the Rat Patrol where... You know, he was in there so much, and the Rat Patrol was a very, very popular show. I know his role in Escape from the Planet of the Apes wasn't huge, but he was really good in it. And then, you know, he was Forbin in the in Colossus the Forbin Project, but I don't think that that movie necessarily did as much as it probably should have. So, I mean, I could I, I can see either way whether he was in. The, the makeup or not so well, let's be honest here dick gautier steals this episode dick gautier and his outfits yes my goodness he looks like he was vomited out of a trader vix <laughs> and i love trader vix but it looks like he was vomited out of a trader vix well let's talk about how this episode begins because with some great stock footage of chicago <laughs> Hey, it's snowing outside, folks. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And we have the company Christmas party going on and the introduction of Ruth McDevitt. Well, sorry, the reintroduction because we saw her in what the first episode when she wasn't Miss Emily. And she's still not Miss Emily because she's missed Edith in this one. She's Edith Cowles, who runs the Riddle column and is definitely not the same character as Miss Emily. So again, she shows up and again, she's a different character. Eventually, she'll be a regular, but she won't have the name. And she has a completely different personality because Edith, she seems like she's pretty fun. Whereas Miss Emily... Maybe not so much. In the beginning of the episode, when Vincenzo is getting audited by the IRS, did you get... Okay, I don't know if I was picking up on something that wasn't there. Did you get the vibe that Kolshak, like, had a hand in that? No. Well... Right? Because it kind of seems like it a little bit. I mean, he's obviously very happy about it. He's very happy in the way that he's listening on the phone when he really should have hung up. But he's getting the inside information that Tony is not going to be able to go on this vacation and that the auditors are coming in. But I don't know if like we're supposed to assume that Carl had maybe tipped off somebody and said, hey, there's some unusual accounting practices, especially they just sent this reporter out to Los Angeles and the story that he got that he wrote got completely killed. I just assumed he had a hand in it because Kolshak is such just a – he's a lovable dick. 
Like, he's a lovable antagonist dick. So, not antagonist, he's a lovable antagonistic dick. He loves to mess with Vincenzo, like, all the time. He knows how to push his buttons, so. And yeah, he definitely, once he knows that something is going to happen, he kind of swoops right into Tony's office and almost gets the rug pulled out from under him because Updike is there and Tony knows that Updike would be the perfect person to send on this cruise and come up with some color stories. If he's, he's not going to be able to give up the tickets for his vacation. So he wants to give them to somebody who's going to be able to go on this cruise and write about it. So Updike's right there. He writes a social column or actually he's a sports writer, but you know, he'd be great to do this stuff. And no, I'm sorry, but he's sick. And Carl never seems to get sick because, you know, clean living, right? (laughs) Clean living through alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Carl Koljak, who was pretty much an alcoholic in The Night Stalker, he's back in, you know, he's talking about how he, he lives right here. So, yeah. And yeah, then Carl gets to bid Bon Voyage. So we've had two episodes now that don't take place in Chicago. Yes. Two back-to-back episodes that don't take place in Chicago, which this show in the last episode works when it wasn't in Chicago. This episode, when it's not in Chicago, man, not great. Right. Well, I always bring up Columbo because that's the way that I am. Columbo went on a cruise ship once. And when Columbo was on a cruise ship, it was really interesting because you know, Columbo doesn't have a way to get fingerprints off of stuff. He doesn't have this information, that information, the stuff that he would normally be able to call in, like the boys at the lab or talk to the coroner and this kind of stuff. He improvises all those things. He kind of MacGyvers these things. I remember him with like pencil shavings, graphite and and uh, sticky tape and making like a fingerprinting kit out of that. I was just like, oh, that's really cool. But Carl on the cruise line, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it could be a hotel. It could be so many other things. It's just it's a little bit of a enclosed space, but they don't really play on it being a cruise ship very much. My issue with this episode, I'm not sure it has so much to do with the cruise ship. I mean, they could have done it well. You're right, though. Obviously, when you have a character like a police officer, it's inherently more interesting because they have to MacGyver stuff. Kolshak just has to figure out a way to send a telefax to Vincenzo. That's kind of it. And what's Vincenzo going to do? Right. Uh, hey, Kolshak, you're full of shit, because that's what he always says. That, again, at this point, we're almost halfway through the show at this point. It's kind of getting old that Vincenzo's just like, you're full of shit, man. I'm trying to remember if we see Vincenzo after Carl leaves, because I think we just hear about him. Yeah, we just hear about it from Paula Griffin, this character played by Nita Talbot, who's set up to be she's set up to kind of be Carl's love interest because it's like a singles type cruise. And yeah, I like her character a lot. Obviously, there's no romance that happens. She thinks that there's going to be some romance, but he is so interested in the case that he doesn't care about anything else. She's very, very quirky, but she seems to actually almost give as good as she gets with this. Yeah, agreed. And she's got this whole thing where she relates everything to movies. 
which is kind of neat too. For nerds like us, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, for nerds like us, we definitely enjoy that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's one of the better female characters that I've seen Kolshak have any interaction with. Like you said, she gives as good as she gets. It's funny, I was just re-watching, they had a marathon of Rockford Files on uh, over the weekend, and the first Rockford Files came on the pilot episode, and she was one of the baddies in there. And I was like, where do I know this woman? Where do I know this woman? And then finally I'm like, oh, Okay, yeah, she was in Kolchak. But then looking at her her filmography, she was in so much stuff. It was just amazing how many episodes of stuff she was in. Plus the uh, the ill-fated Super Train, which I think that might have to be our next show, Chris, is to talk about Super Train. Have you ever heard of that one? I have no idea what that is. That should, that should not surprise you. Super Train was basically like the love boat, but set on a train. That sounds awfully good. So it's like love on the Amtrak? Pretty much. I've actually watched one episode because Timothy Carey was in it. And yeah, it's it's something special. So Sounds pretty bad. And yeah, his Carl Kolchak's roommate, because this cruise ship is kind of weird. They room people with each other, and they room him with Mel Tarter, the Dick Gautier character that you mentioned before, who is just, man, he is like the swingingest of swinging singles. He kind of reminded me of uh, Larry from uh, Three's Company, you know, just always on the move. And then... I do have to say I was very surprised by the twist that happens in this episode where it's revealed that his main squeeze is the woman that he seems to be kind of like scamming on and like trying to get her into bed that they were married before. And then after they divorced, it's been the happiest time of their life because now they basically act like they're swinging singles, but they always end up going back to bed together. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, he's a cuck. <laughs> 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 I never thought I would say that on this podcast. On the Culture Cast in August, I said all kinds of stuff that I never thought I would say. So he's kind of a cuck, a little bit. He's a swinger for sure. Definitely a swinger. I don't know if she goes home with anybody else or if they always just go home together. But who knows? It's kind of weird. If that's their bag, you know? Yeah, that is their. That seems to be their bag. Oh, we. this is the happiest time we've ever had. Okay. Sure, that's weird. But I mean, you know, it was the 70s, man. <laughs> where where Carl's skills do come into play is when he is trying to find out more information about these attacks that have started to happen on the ship. And he plays all of these weird little games where he's like, you know, tells one of the guys, one of the sailors that he was on, I don't know, not the Andrea Doria, but he was on a, a ship uh, in 44 and with the captain and then the guy luckily knows his nautical history and says no sorry that ship went down in 42 and then he goes over to another guy and he was just like oh yeah i'm the captain's son which is hilarious because i know henry jones is pretty old in this episode but he looks too old to be somebody's son in this no yeah kolshak is like in his what 40s or 50s like what is your dad 100 years old man like i mean i guess my folks are still around but you know yeah, I mean, my mom's getting up there. So Yeah, your mom's not piloting a boat. 
That's true. A ship. Yeah, excuse me, a ship that was immediately dismantled after this episode. Yes, so all evidence is gone. Like I said, that's kind of the one thing about this show that is getting a tad, not old, but kind of old, is it doesn't it doesn't seem to have figured out a way to move past how to end the episodes. Because the way the episodes end is becoming so formulaic that, yeah, this is the 70s, yeah, we shouldn't be expecting very much from the writing, but at the same time, it really has fallen into a trap of being formulaic. One of the things, going back to the love boat, one of the things about the love boat is, you know, you have your little, like, I don't know, three-act kind of thing happen on the boat, but there's always the moment when the crew is saying goodbye to the people, and, you know, now we get to see what's happening with this couple and that couple and this guy and that lady, there's no wrap up with this episode. Like the wrap up is just Carl doing his, his shtick of recording and recording those final thoughts. We just kind of lose the thread of Mel and Paula and any of these other people, the captain, they're just gone. And it's like, okay, once the werewolf is dispatched, we just, all right, right over to Carl's voiceover and we're done with the episode. Which is like, that is extremely fast. Yeah, it really does. It ties up too neatly, I guess is the word. I mean, it's it's like, oh, this little this little bow was put, it, put on it. I almost expected there to not be the follow-up narration. I was like, oh shit, we're going to get no narration here, right? Like, there's going to be no follow-up narration, and it's just going to end with him being like, and then the werewolf died. The end. And I... Kind of almost wish that it had gone back to Chicago and Vincenzo was like, do you have all your receipts or something that ties into the audit? But nothing. No, yeah. it was so abrupt. Yeah, it, the ending the ending of this episode doesn't work very well. I don't think the episode as a whole works very well. And man, the werewolf itself is... Oof. It is. It is almost as bad as the invisible werewolf monster from the 2006 reboot. It almost makes me say, like, well, it, <laughs> I guess it's a good thing we didn't see the werewolf in that episode because it could have just been a dude with cotton balls on his face. I mentioned in the intro that the script that this was based on was the, – the script was 70 pages. And for folks who don't necessarily know, a minute of script roughly equals a minute of screen time. Uh, and that can be if it's because I had this debate recently with somebody and just these kind of things drive me crazy. It can be – a page of somebody talking, a page of description. So if you have 70 pages of somebody talking, it's probably going to be about 70 minutes. If you have 70 pages of description, it's going to be about 70 minutes. Most scripts kind of mix those things together. This one, 70 minutes long, obviously is longer than a hour television show, uh, especially when we think about commercials. So I really think that this was supposed to be an hour and a half uh, or fill an hour and a half slot with commercials. Well, and it looks like it. Oh, yeah. And there are tons of things. I mean, there are whole characters that are cut out. There are whole scenes that are just completely gone. The all the, the there's a whole intro that takes seven pages, and it's talking about 
something that they mention in one line of dialogue, which is some guys, I think it's in either Greenland or Antarctica, and they are killed, but only one guy survives. And in the intro, they're talking about this photograph of these guys, and they kind of focus in on the Eric Braden character, and like, this is the only guy who survived. And you get this whole thing about the audit. Like, we are constantly going back to Chicago and all of this interaction, and especially interaction between Paula and Vincenzo and all this stuff going on. And it's just like, okay, yeah, this is a fully fledged, fleshed out episode. And it just felt like they went in with a hatchet and just chopped the shit out of this thing. And it feels like it. Yeah, it, it does. It really does. It really does. And that's a, that's a disappointment. It really is presented like a Night Stalker, Night Strangler TV movie. Even the way the intro is. The intro is different than the intros up until this point. Check this out. When the intro of the episode proper... It actually starts out with Kolchak at a restaurant. It is a local but authentic Chinese restaurant unchanged since the 1930s. The dinner crowd is long gone, but the bar is still open and two customers stubbornly hang out. Uh, hang on to their drinks and their conversations. Camera picks up a up tray of Chinese dishes, follows it as a waiter takes it to the rear booth. Cut to rear booth. Kolchak alone, seated, feet stretched out, tie undone, hair frazzled, weary, frustrated, and scribbling notes on a manuscript. Waiter sets down dishes, takes tray, and moves off. Kolchak absently begins feeding himself forkfuls of egg roll as he pushes play button on cassette. And it starts with, admittedly, the story you are about to read is bizarre, incredible to those who wish to avoid being unsettled, those who wish to avoid thinking they will label it insane. And though you, the reader, would find these facts almost impossible to substantiate, that does not change their nature. Facts they are. I know. I saw them happen. And then he says, end forward, chapter one, Greenland, November 2nd, 1973. The date is significant. And that's right, because there's a full moon. I forgot about that. So him saying end of, uh, what is it? end forward? It's like, Okay, it almost sounds like we're doing the uh, uh, the Norlis thing, and he's writing a book. Yeah, that's really what it sounds like. And I have to say, too, this script was written in August of 74. At least that's the date on it. There's no revision dates on this thing at all. But August 5th, 1974, which is actually the date that some of those uh, first two scripts were written. So this one... I know it wasn't that long between August and November, but the turnaround time on these scripts is usually pretty darn fast. And this one having a few months in between, I know that the change of regime was probably something to do with it. Yeah, it's just kind of weird how this one came to be. And that, yeah, like I said, somebody, and I don't know who it was, just took a hatchet and just chopped the shit out of it. And it, it feels like it. It really feels like it. You can tell. Because this episode wraps up really quickly. And surprisingly, there is no afterward. You know, how I was talking about how I wanted all this stuff going on. But page 69, Werewolf goes over the side. We get the final... Uh, we go back to the restaurant and... 
And that's when Carl gives his voiceover, you know, to wrap it up, which makes a lot more sense because the way that the episode ends, we have Carl, he's giving his narration. We see him in basically an undisclosed location for a while. We don't know where he's at. And then they pull out or they cut to a wider shot and he's there on his luggage and he has like a porter kind of waiting for him. And I was just like, wait, the way that you were talking, the cruise ship was retired and was taken apart and all of this stuff happened. And the way you're saying it should be like six months to a year later. But not here the you next are, day. Not even like it looks like a few hours after he got off the boat. What I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. That was so weird. Such a weird way to do it. Yeah. So there was a little bit better of an episode here. And I think it could have been better with better effects and better had they left in some of this stuff and actually kept in Vincenzo a little bit more. Yeah, you know, and kept in Jimmy the waiter. Why not? (laughs) Jimmy the waiter uh, just dies because I agree. This episode is one of the weaker ones that we've watched. It doesn't help that a lot of the, again, the things that make Kolchak great, his interaction with Vincenzo, his interaction with the mainstay characters is gone because this is an episode, another traveling episode. Right. We just saw one where he's out of town and it was really good with the vampire. Albeit there's a female character that actually gives Kolshak a little bit of run for a run for his money. Right. And, you know, Kolshak is in fine form as always. You have the Dick Gaut- you have Dick Gautier as Mel Tartar, but the stuff that's hard to overlook is the terrible makeup, the terrible script that seems so forced and rushed that it doesn't ever seem to feel like a cohesive thought. It seems more like just some stuff thrown at the page that was then cut up even more. So God, yeah, just and I have to give a shout out to Henry Jones as the captain, Captain Julian Wells. Henry Jones, he has been in so many things. He's always great. He's got that terrific voice to him. <laughs> Speaking of cucks, he uh, was the <laughs> one who really emasculates uh, Jimmy Stewart's character, Scotty, in Vertigo. He's the guy who blames everything on scott he just lays everything on him he was in the bad seed he he's been in so many amazing things he's got that great great voice like i said and him and kolchak going at it and that's the other thing here's another weird one chris is so kolchak is looking for silver and he finds out from that one porter the one porter who i like who is the scam artist and will sell anything to anybody and basically it sounds like he will just go through people's luggage and steal stuff because he has this whole side business going on. But he says, oh yeah, the cap- The only thing really silver on this whole pl- uh, this whole ship is the captain's buttons. So Kolchak goes in. He's already had, the, the captain is basically the police chief in this episode. He goes in and here comes the captain, of course, finds Kolchak in his um, his room. I can't remember what you would call that. And his quarters, his quarters. Thank you. And they start to have this whole exchange. And at one point, you know, he calls these guys in and they're supposed to take Kolchak away. And then Kolchak does the weirdest thing where he says, like, something about, like, my editor, Anthony Vincenzo. And then the captain just gets like this weird look on his face, like he recognizes Vincenzo's name. Did you catch that? Yeah, and then he gives them orders and right. they listen? 
Right. What? I was trying I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who was like, what the hell is going on all of a sudden in this show? And that's the thing. That was where I had to go back to that script and say, okay, what happened here? Because I was hoping, like, you know, and so-and-so recognizes the name and blah, blah, blah. No, the whole the whole section is completely rewritten. So that has nothing to do with what was in the script. Like, there was a little bit of that, but the whole idea of, uh, okay, hold on. So... Um, you know, you seem to be fond of living in the past, Captain, so maybe you'll appreciate what I'm going to say. Very simply, you haven't got a psychotic killer on board. You've got a werewolf. Really? I suppose next you'll be wanting me to turn the ship around so we won't all sail off the edge of the world. What's going to happen to this ship is much worse than that. And then Wells goes into his whole Article 22, blah, 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 blah. And um, well says, you're the one to stop with the nonsense. Now, I won't deny you've had trouble. My officers concur with me that we've had a psychotic killer on board. More than likely a stowaway. And in view of the fact that the attacks have stopped, either one of three things have happened. One, the man fell overboard. Two, he committed suicide. Or three, he sustained wounds and crawled off to the bowels of the ship to die. Or fourth, Carl interrupts, he is very much alive and waiting for the sun to go down. So they have this whole thing going on. So Kolchak does the whole thing of like, let me put it in your terms since you, uh, you know, love your orders. And he starts talking about the silver bullets, you know, and that they have to be blessed by a priest and in Latin. And then he says, and by moonrise, every passenger must be confined to quarters. Or are you still planning on having that masquerade ball? Now, you and I, we saw them talk about a masquerade ball because Gautier says that he's going to go as a peeping Tom and his wife's going to go as Lady Godiva. And that never comes back again in the episode. <laughs> so it's just like, what the fuck, man? So many things just kind of get left out. So, yeah. And then the scene just Wells tells him, the, tells his men to take Carl Ch- sorry, to take Kolchak below. And then uh, Kolchak says, oh, it's not necessary. I'm going to go lock myself in my own cabin. And that's pretty much it. That's it's like, okay, great. And yeah, just again, just things left by the wayside. Yeah, no, it really feels like an idea that uh, they never really had a very good grasp on. Kind of weird. Most of the Col- none of the Kolchak episodes up until this point have felt that way. They've been problematic for other reasons, but they haven't felt like they haven't felt like a not fully formed idea. And so many of the things in this episode take place. I mean, we we have Carl, I think, witnessing one of them, but then even at the same time, I was like, wait, did he witness the actual? crime or just the aftermath because it feels like he's not there for any of these attacks he just keeps talking about them in voiceover and i like the voiceover i always like the voiceover and i like this whole thing like and at 1022 two things happened you know those kind of things but he does that a lot for this so he's really not around during many of these murders this episode almost felt like that was the crutch that they used his narration as a crutch. Yeah, just right? to fill in when they couldn't actually shoot stuff. And then I have to say the scenes with the werewolf are usually – and this is good and bad. The scenes are so dark I can't really tell what's going on. But at the same time, they're so dark I can't see how shitty that makeup job is. They're done in a quick cut style that's, that literally rips off the intro of the episode where it like freezes on his face. 
Those freeze frames are ridiculous. They're so goofy. They only they really only work at the beginning of the show. And they keep freezing on that horrible werewolf makeup. And it's like, stop, stop it. They want you to know how much money they spent on it. Someone went down to the local fucking five and dime and, uh, you know. Got a bunch of cotton balls and dipped them in brown paint. Dipped them in turd is what I like it. Jesus. And the transformation scene. I mean, you and I, we're spoiled now with digital effects and even practical effects from, you know, Stan Winston and stuff. But the effects that happen in like Abbott and Costello meet the werewolf were better than the effects in this. Cause we don't get the transformation of Lon Chaney Jr. We just get Eric Braden holding up his hands and they look like they're furry. I'm like, okay, great. Here we go. This is a great episode guys. Yeah. This makes the Paul Nashi werewolf movies look like, you know, billion dollar expenditures. Yeah, it really does. Ugh. Poor Carl. He deserved better. And he deserved more of a trip. You know, he should have at least tried to have a good time. Not really recommending the werewolf episode. Nope. Eric Braden deserved better and Darren McGavin deserved better. That's for sure. I know that they run into each other literally in the hallway at one point. Do they have any interaction really otherwise as far as Braden? No. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Which is a shame. I mean, you have two really good actors in this one and... You would like them to be on screen at the same time. And more Mel Tarter, please. More Dick Gautier as the cook, please. Yes. And unfortunately, Dick Gautier just passed away in January of this year. We missed it by that much. Yeah, yeah. Missed it by that much. I can still hear his jacket screaming, though. Yep. Straight from Trader Vic's. (laughs) Chris, what is going on over at the Culture Cast these days? Uh, Well, we are wrapping up my favorite month of the year, which is Halloween. So we're talking all about horror movies, as always. It's kind of the... That's the tradition at uh, Culture Shock is to do horror movies in October. If I had it my way, we'd do horror movies all year. But let's be honest. There are enough of those podcasts about Yahoo's just screaming and laughing about how much they love horror movies to, I don't know, fill a boat to take them out to the middle of the ocean and hopefully sink it. We're talking about horror movies. You can follow me at Culture Stash on Twitter, at Culture Shocked on Twitter for the website. And head on over to CultureShock.com to check out the website. And we're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. What is going on at my favorite movie podcast, the Pro Boothcast? Well, October, kind of like you, we're doing a lot of horror films. So we are ending the month with a look at the Twin Peaks, the return series, uh, which I... You know, there's a lot of Twin Peaks podcasts out there. There's a lot of people who wrote a whole lot of shit about Twin Peaks when it was on, and we're just kind of finally going to sit down and talk about the whole experience of watching the Twin Peaks, the return. Yeah. I'm, I'm rejoined by my co-host from the Firewalk with me episode, Christine Makepeace, And, uh, actually we'll be talking about the Firewalk with me DVD that, uh, criterion just put out. So, or sorry, DVD, what am I saying? Blu-ray that they just put out. So yeah, it, it promises to be good. And then, you know, a couple uh, unusual horror films as well. Um, nothing as, uh, nothing as exciting as what you're doing over there at culture cast, but you know, I, I can hope to be as cool as you one of these days. So, and you can find out more about the projection booth at projection dash booth.com. And you can find out more about the Colchak tapes at colchaktapes.com. Come on over to our Facebook group, join the amazing discussion, which nobody really 
does. Thank you very much to John Walker for our theme song. Thanks to everybody for listening. Next month, we're coming back to 2005 and talking about another episode of the reimagined Kolchak. We're talking about the episode, the third episode of the show, which is called Three. What do you know about that? I'm looking forward to it. I'm very curious where we're going to go after those five people you meet in hell. So... I am uh, hoping that this will be a pleasant surprise. Hopefully there won't be any uh, cotton ball werewolves in it. Or invisi werewolves. Yeah. Werewolves haven't gotten their fair share on Kolchak. Or Kolchak-related shows, no. No. One of these days. Of the 11 crewmen and four passengers attacked by the beast, it is not known how many actually died. The injured? Well, they disappeared. Rumor has it to Switzerland. To undergo treatment for a rare blood disease. The shipping line would only admit to having had a psychotic stowaway on board. The killer had fallen overboard after being cornered by ship's officers, so they said. All traces of Bernard Steiglitz vanished. His baggage was gone. His name could not be found in any passenger manifest. NATO officials claim no such man had ever existed in their organization, and any attempt to publish a werewolf story about such a man would be met with the heaviest legal artillery. Vincenzo, always gun-shy, conveyed that message to me in no uncertain terms. So, here the story sits. For good, I guess. No one but you and I know the real truth. The real story. Thank <laughs> you.